Welcome to our COP26 impression series. My name is Janis Beller, and I'm here on the ground of the Sustainable Innovation Forum in Glasgow, happening alongside COP26. In this series, we're harnessing impressions of COP26 and the Sustainable Innovation Forum. I'm here with Karine Depoissaison from EDF Group, Chief Sustainability Officer. Thank you so much, Karine, for joining us here today. Uh, Karine, you've been to the Blue Zone, to the Green Zone, and here at SIF today, so we're really excited to hear all your impressions. What's your first kind of key takeaway from, from these past days here in Glasgow? Well, my key takeaway is that the 1.5 degrees is still alive. It's not in good health, but it's still alive. And I think that was really the worry that uh, everybody involved in climate was um, worried about when coming to Glasgow. Um, and I think so far, the news flow that we have makes us more optimistic probably than when we arrived. But yet, the one thing that is at stake, and it's pretty clear from uh, the streets, um, is question of accountability. Uh, because we know there's been many, many new engagements, which is great. Uh, India, for example, I mean, 2070 for net zero, that might sound uh, far away, but actually they've really structured the announcement with several um, key commitments. And that's the first time actually they commit reduction in CO2. So I think we've got very good news on that front. But the question is, how do you make sure that they are uh, held accountable and specific in the short term. And I think this is what we are waiting for, maybe by the end of this COP, let's hope. So you, you here as SEDF uh, Chief Sustainability Officer, is, is that what you were looking to get out of it? Or what, was, what, what were you looking for to come out of COP26 and, and, and what were you searching for here? I think generally as a company, when you come to COP, you're trying to make sure that you are uh, building coalition of actors, because it's pretty clear that we won't be succeeding on our own, right? I think everybody now hopefully understands that most of the carbon emission are in your value chain. That's what we call the scope three in the accounting of carbon, right? 80% on average of the emissions are with your value chain, with your customers, with your clients, with your suppliers. And when you go at COP, you really manage to understand and to really accelerate on this. And I think this is what I was looking for. And generally Generally, I've been quite impressed by the number of coalition that have come through, um, specifically in the hard to abate sector, so cement, for example, uh, steel. And this is really a game changer. I think this is really the biggest challenge for all of us as companies is to make sure that we are really tackling this famous scope three. You're saying progress has been made. What, what has been missing so far? Is there something that you'd like more progress to be made or something that has been ignored so far? Maybe? I think coming from France, probably I'm a bit biased, right, because we had the yellow vest uh, episode, but I lack a little bit um, on the social transition. I think I was hoping um, to have a bit more governance when it comes to the impact on, of people, because I don't think we will succeed in the energy transition if we are not doing it with and for the people. And in my country, this is clearly one of the biggest worry, I think, of government um, is to ensure that we left no one behind. Uh, that means, um, again, our customers. Uh, we've seen the high energy prices, right, in Europe over the last couple of months. Um, and this is creating massive, massive issues in terms of fuel poverty. And if you think about electric mobility, which I think is also one of the big announcements that everybody is waiting, you know, the end of the ICE by 2035. Well, you know, nobody uh, or not everybody can afford an electric vehicle, right? It's still quite expensive. So we have to really think this energy transition with and for the people. And it's not just an emerging market issue. It's also a developed market issue. So this is probably the one thing that I'm uh, 
missing a little bit, but maybe it will come uh, by uh, the end of the cup. There's hoping. We've mentioned you've been in the blue zone, you've been in the green zone. Do you find there is alignment between the two zones in that sense on, on where the direction of communication is going, where the debates are going, or do you find there are separate bubbles and there's actually not as much alignment as you would have liked to see? I have to say I am a bit... Um, worried uh, about the the greenwashing um, issues. I think we've seen, because of course of the anger of the protesters, right? We've seen a lot of extreme views, I think now coming to say that basically everybody, every time a corporate talks about net zero, it's uh, greenwashing. And I heard, for example, the CEO of IKEA said that uh, greenwashing might be better than silence. And I think this is a real question for corporates. If you become too afraid of announcing engagement because you would be accused of greenwashing, maybe at some stage it's completely paralyzed you and you do nothing, right? So we have to find a middle ground. It's not because you're announcing net zero that you are a greenwasher. The question is, how do you do net zero? And maybe that's the discrepancy I found a little bit um, between the, I would say, the, the green zone where corporates are trying to really show what they are doing. And maybe when we see in the blue zone where there is maybe more about, um, uh, you know, the real targets of going to zero on absolute and the compensation is really tainted um, around greenwashing. So I think we need to reconsider inside these two world a bit more on that and to say net zero can be credible but you have to have the short-term plan and you have to make sure that depending on the sector you're in your strategy is not hurting other parts of the planet i'll give you the example as an energy company we know that some of the things we can do can be very bad for biodiversity if you think about biomass for example so we have to make sure that you think on a systemic way and that's the most tricky part for us now, you've mentioned net zero announcements and, and the challenges that come with it and, and of course greenwashing of course, there's that idea, if, if, if you're willing to talk the talk, you should walk the walk, that, that, that comes with these announcements. But as you say, there is that pressure within it. Do you think there are companies that, that feel pressured into making certain announcements to, to stay within their kind of sector drive? Uh, or do you believe that most companies are consciously making these engagements and these pledges um, based on inherent strategic thinking? I think you have a bit of both, but to be honest, you, we should not condemn one against another. I, I, I have a, a, um, a counterpart of mine in a cement company, and he told me that after the climate week in New York back in, I think, 2019, his CEO was really impressed by the speed of engagement in terms of net zero and specifically the one engaged with science-based target initiative. I think there were 30 companies back in 2019. Today is 1,800 companies that are involved in science-based target. And at the time, the CEO had no plan, but he was convinced that he was the way forward. But because he was so convinced, then it trickled down in the business unit. And then there is some form of emulation in the business unit to be uh, delivering on net zero. So I think we should not condemn when it's coming maybe from one ID with no plan, if it's really um, being implemented properly. But I have to say, when you start your net zero journey, you really have to make sure that you're following, of course, science, that you have an external label um, validating what you're doing. And again, as I mentioned, you have to really think system. You have to think biodiversity. You have to think impact on human rights. You have to think impact on land, biodiversity generally very complex issue. And I think this is what probably um, is the trickiest part in terms of expertise as well within the company. You need help. And that's why I said you need coalition because you won't succeed on your own. You're describing a very holistic approach to this. Um, 
is, is that how you went about it as EDF? Kind of putting in together all these considerations to try to inherently put that into your strategy to drive forward that way? Yes. So what we've done, which uh, I think has been a, a very uh, strong uh, strength for us, is that we um, uh, installed our corporate mission in our corporate bylaws that was back in 2020. And this corporate mission has four pillars. One is carbon neutrality, one is planet preservation, one is uh, well-being, and the last one is economic development. And that means that every decision we make, whether it's commercial, whether it's capex investment, has to be consistent with this corporate mission. And that is a very strong way, first to avoid greenwashing, right, and to look at the systemic aspect of all the decisions we're making. And I think this is really driving all our employees as well, because one of the things which I think is also very critical today is the risk of losing your employee, the risk of uh, what I call cognitive dissonance. So they hear the story about the corporate social responsibility, but they don't see it in their daily jobs, right? And this is why at EDF, we try to avoid that by basically making our employees ambassadors of our corporate mission so that they don't see that there's a difference between what are the goals and what they see on their daily basis at, in their job. And, and I believe that translates really nicely into the social license to operate and, and your wider work more publicly. Exactly, because one of the things which is very much a differentiating factor for, for the energy sector is that we run the risk of having what we call stranded assets, right? Because we invest for uh, 50 to 100 years, right? And by then, for sure, climate change will impact us. So we have to really think uh, on a super long-term basis to ensure that the money we spend, you know, we have 15 billion, 1.5 billion euros of capex every year at EDF, I really have this responsibility to ensure that we are not losing that money in assets that will become stranded. Very short before we wrap up, 15 seconds, what should we do next? What's, what's the next thing on the agenda for us going home from? Well, I think we really have to think about what I call um, uh, you know, transformation of our business model. I think the issue we have today is that we try to do the same better, but I think some businesses have completely to change and we have to accept that. Some things will degrowth, they will be degrowth. I know the word is a bit worrying for most corporates, but I think we have to learn that we can be happy with enough and not with more. I think this is really my key takeaway. It's a very good point. Thank you so much, Karin, for your time. Thank you for having me.